I want you to think of a funny family tradition that you have. What's a weird family tradition that you have? And if any other family were to come into this scene and see your family doing this, they'd think that's weird. You have any of those? Maybe. So I, uh, you know, I've been married to Jess for 20 years at this point and, and we dated forever. And so I have been going to Christmases at my in-laws house forever, it seems. And early on, all right, this is just not going to happen. So early on, uh, I, I go to this Christmas gathering and it's wonderful. Back at Thanksgiving, we would make sugar cookies and we would ice them, put them in the freezer, break them back out at Christmas time, right? Anybody else do this? This was new to me. Great family tradition, super fun. Uh, or, uh, you know, when we would go for Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, sometimes we'd even sleep there. Now that I'm a pastor, we'll maybe go the next day and sleep over. But Christmas Eve night, Jess's mom will make this great spread of shrimp cocktail and cheese boards and fruit and all these great snacks. I made wings one year. Like, it's just great. Everybody just hanging out. One of the first couple times I was over there, somewhere, maybe there was a CD player back then when this happened. At some point, someone, one of her sisters would go and put Amy Grant Christmas on. And I was like, Amy Grant's already outdated. Like how, why is this a thing? Yeah, all right. Yeah, you know it, right? What's the Mary song off that one album? Mary, did you know? That's it. Mary, did you know? Right. And so I'm like, all right. I guess Amy Grant Christmas is what's happening over here. Fine. All right. Next year, everything's going along. Amy Grant Christmas. Here we are. It's this tradition. Like, it's not Christmas in this home until Amy Grant Christmas has been played now on the computer. Um, but it's weird. Like, I'm not an Amy Grant fan. But let me tell you something. When I hear it, now I'm like, oh, it's Christmas. Like, now I know we have gotten there. It's this weird family tradition. Friends, baptism is a weird family tradition. All right. It's just weird. If anybody else, like, you know, like now that we're doing it in a neighborhood so people can see it, or if anybody else walked in, they'd be like, what is happening? You're getting fully clothed people into a pool and dunking them backwards. It's a weird family tradition. We can just admit that. So why do we do it? Why has this been part of the church since day one? Why was John the Baptist, John the baptizer, why was he baptizing people? Well, that's what I want to talk just uh, briefly about today. At Hope Alliance, we would say that baptism is, is an act of obedience. Baptism is an act of obedience that, that announces and aligns our lives with the story of God's rescue. All right, Baptism is an act of obedience that announces and aligns our lives, our stories, with the story of God's gracious rescue through Jesus. So why is it an act of obedience? Pretty simple. Jesus commanded us to do it, right? Matthew 28, Jesus is giving the great commission to his disciples before he ascends to the Father. And he says, look, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. I want you to go tell all these people about me. I want you to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I have commanded you. So he's saying, I want you to make disciples, all right? This is what happens first. I want you to make disciples as act of repentance of believing the story of God and his rescue through Jesus. I want you to make disciples and then baptize them. Believe Subsequent to that, baptism, right? So we see an order that happens there. Now, let me tell you something. In New Testament times, early church history, man, it was like, you got saved, boom, you got baptized immediately. Like, you see it all over in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, it's like, who is it, Philip, who's, who's sharing the gospel with somebody? And, and they're like, 
there's a puddle right there. Baptize me in that. Boom. It's like, boom, it happens right there on the spot. Now we like in our context, we've given it like this delay for some reason, but man, if we had a baptismal at the Y, I guess there's a pool there. Maybe we should start doing this anyway. So it's an act of obedience to what Jesus commands the disciples to do is to make disciples and, and baptize people. Then we see Paul call for it in different ways in his letters. Uh, but prominently we see Peter call for it very early in the church history. Acts 2, at Pentecost, the Spirit comes and the disciples are speaking in different languages and, and Peter gets called to preach the gospel to these unbelieving folks who are there. And he shares the gospel with them and it and it cuts them deeply to the heart, it says. This this something starts to happen in their hearts that they're like, we want this thing that you're talking about. We admit that Jesus is the Messiah. We, we want him. What should we do? And he says two things, right? He says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus, right? And so we don't believe that baptism brings about a forgiveness of sins. We believe that, again, that happens when someone believes and repents. So that's why if there's a a delay in the baptism happening. We don't freak out about it. Um, and we don't believe that it's necessary for salvation uh, based on what we see in the New Testament. But we do see it as linked. And it's this, this following this command of Jesus to say, if you believe in this, you would then be baptized. So it's this act of obedience to announce and align our lives with the story of God's rescue, right? So what are we announcing, right? So uh, this is a very public thing that's happening here today, even more so because we're standing in the middle of a neighborhood. But we're announcing something about God's story. We're announcing something about our story. And I would say we're announcing something about the world, about God, and about us. We're announcing that in the world, there's brokenness. We're saying, I can look around and see in the world brokenness and pain and suffering, and we've experienced it personally, right? And so we see this out in the world, and, and, and we know that the world is on this trajectory of brokenness. And we would say as Christians, we would trace it all the way back to the Garden of Eden to say that there's a sinful fall of humanity, and there's this trajectory of brokenness. But God created all of this. He loves this. He loves you. He loves me. And he says, I want to make you whole. And so Baptism actually has, says something about our view of God, too. It says God is the rescuer. God is the one who's doing something about this brokenness that we see in the world. God has put a rescue plan into motion, most prominently seen in the person, the work, and the life and death of Jesus, right? So our baptism says something about the world. It says something about God doing this rescue, but then it says something about us, right? Baptism has a view of ourselves that says, I'm also broken, I'm also stuck in sin and death. I need to be part of the rescue as well. Otherwise, I'm just in that trajectory of rebellion and brokenness and sin. I'm stuck in that kingdom. The Bible says this is the kingdom of darkness, but in Jesus is the kingdom of light, right? And so what we say at our baptism is we need to be saved, right? So these three things, right? Our baptism announces about the world, God, and us needing this rescue as well. But our, our, what we're doing here today is also aligning our lives, aligning our story with the story of God's rescue that we've seen going all the way back to the beginning. And it's linked to water. There's this connection to water. All throughout scripture, water holds a significant place. You know, uh, baptism, if you look at the word in Greek, uh, it, well, really the word in English is a, just a transliteration of the Greek word ba baptizo. There was no English word for this prior to this. Baptizo was, was a word that um, fabric dyers 
would use to fully immerse a piece of cloth in a, a, a pool of dye and bring it up a completely different color. That the, the cloth's identity was totally changed by being immersed, being baptized and pulled out. That's where the word comes from. But all throughout scripture, this idea of water is present, going all the way back to the beginning, to the creation. We see that God creates everything and he uses water to what? Separate the land. And then we see all throughout the Old Testament scriptures that water is actually kind of a scary place. Like we still don't even know what's in the ocean, right? All these years later, we know what, like 10% of what's in the ocean. Like it's been explored at five. Do you say 5%? Yeah, 5%. Like it's an unknown kind of creepy place. Like water holds this place all throughout scripture as well. But what we see going all the way back to the beginning, right, is Adam and Eve briefly here. I'll just share this. Adam and Eve, God creates everything. It's good. Everything is pure and clean. But humanity rebels against God and says, we want our own way, which is why there's this trajectory of rebellion and brokenness and sin in the world. And God passes judgment on that situation and separates Adam and Eve from the garden, from the, from the eternal life that is, is present there and says, you're on your own. You have chosen to put yourselves on the throne. Therefore, this is the trajectory you are on outside of my rescue. And we see this go on for the first several chapters in the book of Genesis, right? Chaos is reigning in the world. People are killing one another. People are trying to make a name for themselves. And then what happens? We see that God calls this guy Noah. And he says, you know what, Noah? I'm going to judge the world and I'm going to, I'm going to purify it in a sense, right? And how does he do it? Water. He sends water to flood the earth and says, I'm going to rid it of the unrighteousness that's there. And I'm going to do a rescue through you, Noah. Random farmer guy who seems to maybe to love God, but we see from his story, he's clearly a wreck. This is all just the faith of God towards humanity to pursue them. So 40 days and 40 nights, God sends water onto the earth and Noah builds what? An ark. Builds this giant boat, which nobody had ever seen before. He gets made fun of and ridiculed for it. He builds this boat. And the water starts to come up and it's purging the earth. It's cleansing the earth. But what gets saved through it? The ark. The ark comes out of this alive. God's rescue plan is at work through Noah. And this cleansing happens. And then if you remember at the end of that, that story, God makes a covenant with Noah. But before that, do you remember what he does? Noah sends out a dove. He sends this dove out to see if there's land and the dove comes back with an olive branch. And then he sends the dove out and it... Never comes back, disappears, assuming, you know, it goes and makes a nest somewhere, right? So God judges and cleanses the world through this flood. And then years later, we see God calls Abraham and Israel, and they become God's chosen instrument of rescue, right? This family starts to grow. They need food. They end up down in Egypt, and they end up, what, enslaved, right? For 400 years, the rescue plan Israel, who's supposed to be the rescue boat themselves for the world, are stuck in slavery and dying in Egypt. And they cry out for someone to deliver them. And God sends Moses, who coincidentally is rescued through an ark of his own, right? When the basket gets placed onto the water, he lives through this. But the big point of this story, like the high point of Israel's history, besides the, the, the throne of David is the Red Sea experience, right? We see Israel gets freed from Egypt. They get freed from this, this slavery. They wander through the desert until they get to the very edge of a body of water. And they're there and they're like, what are we going to do? And God says, consecrate yourselves. I'm going to do something among you. Get ready. And God parts the Red Sea and the people walk right through it. 
towards the promised land, right? Which we pick up in the book of Numbers. So God parts this water, they walk through it, and then who follows behind them? Their, their slave masters. The people that have been slaving them for 400 years come in behind them, and what does God do? All the water comes back on top of them. The judgment of God comes down on these enslavers and says, no longer will you enslave my people. So they pass through this water. They come up out of it free people. God has dealt with what had been enslaving them for all those years and sets them free. But then where do they go? They go to Mount Sinai. You remember the story when God gives them the Ten Commandments? They go and Moses goes up on the mountain. But what God tells them to do is interesting. He says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And if you read into the covenant history of Israel and scholars have studied this, it's actually a marriage covenant of sorts. It's called a ketubah in Hebrew. It's this marriage covenant that God says, I'm going to enter into this with you here at Mount Sinai. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. But consecrate yourselves first. Cleanse yourselves first. And in this wedding ceremony of sorts that's taking place, what God is doing is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to go through a mikvah which is this sort of this Jewish ritual of cleansing by water for the bride. He says, I want you to cleanse yourselves because I'm making a covenant with you. And so there's this water cleansing that happens so that the people then can enter into this covenant with God. So you see water all throughout, weaving through the history of the people of God and then culminating in what is a fascinating miracle that happens uh, at, at the end of the book of Numbers, if you remember, we've been studying this, where the people of God are on the edge of the Jordan River. They're in the plains of Moab, looking across at Jericho, but what is standing between them is the Jordan River. How are they going to get across this flooded Jordan River to Jericho? What are they going to do? And God says, what? Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. Get ready for tomorrow. I'm going to do something powerful among you. So the people go through this cleansing. They get ready for what God is going to do. And then, boom, God stops up the Jordan River. The people cross through the Jordan into the land of promise, where the full life of God has been waiting for them, where God's presence is there, his, his, his purpose for them is there. It's just this, this provision is there. It's all held in this promised land. This full life is there for the people of God when they consecrate themselves and move through the Jordan River, pass through this water, this miracle that happens. So it is no mistake, no mistake at all, that by the time you get to John the Baptist, where's John baptizing people? Do you remember? In the Jordan River. He's no dummy. He might be crazy, but he knows what he's doing. He's symbolically standing in the very place where Joshua led the people of God through God's rescue into the promised land. And while religious parties were saying, we need legalism, legalism, legalism to get God to give us the promised land. And others were saying, we need to link up with Rome so we have power, power, power so we have God's land. John says, no, no, no. We stand in the Jordan and cleanse ourselves and say, we need God's rescue. We need God to do this. No one else can do it. This is why John is baptizing people. He's calling them to reenact to align their lives with this gracious rescue of God that he's been doing all along that we see through these water rescues. So then fascinatingly, we see Jesus enter into public ministry and what's the first thing he does? He says, John, baptize me. Which, it doesn't make sense to us, right? We're like, wait, why is he getting baptized? He doesn't need to be cleansed, right? But he's, all, he's like fulfilling all righteousness, scripture says. He's, he's aligning himself with the story of God's rescue and saying, this is the way it needs to happen. 
There's this, this rescue, this consecrating that needs to happen, this new covenant that needs to happen through God, through his grace to enter into the full life that God had promised. Friends, think with me about Jesus. When he goes into the water to be baptized by John, he comes up and God sends this dove to come and rest on him. N.T. Wright, a scholar, says that where did we last see the dove? Leaves the ark of Noah and flies around. And he says, symbolically, now it's finding its home on Jesus, the new ark, the ark who delivers us through the waters of judgment into the promised land. And he comes up out of the water and God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my man. And scripture says, it's a new Adam. So we have a new Ad, a new a Noah coming up, a new ark. We have a new Adam, God's son, the pure one, the one who will get it all right. It's a beautiful picture. And Jesus goes through his life on earth, goes through the miracles that he does. If you want to go under there, you can. Or there's a tent up there too. Or you can just get wet. Jesus does all of this in his life. And we crucify him for it. But what's fascinating is three days after the crucifixion, what does God do? God vindicates Jesus, raises him from the dead. Jesus goes into the depth, into the watery depths of God's judgment. God's wrath is on him, scripture says, in our place. He passes through the depths of the waters of judgment so that we can come out the other side, so that we can pass through that Red Sea of judgment into the promised land. And scripture says that when that happens, the same waters that crushed Egypt symbolically crush what enslaves us, the sin, the death, the things, our flesh that holds us captive, all through Jesus' death are, are made void. We now have power in the spirit because of what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection, passing through the depths of the water of God's judgment. And it's no coincidence, friends, that Jesus's name is also a transliteration of the Hebrew. His real name is Joshua. He's the one who led us through the Jordan River. It has permanently been stopped upstream. Why? So that we can experience new life, so that we can go into the promised land. Paul says in Romans 6, oh, I'm not there. I want to read it for you. I was going to try to remember it, but Paul says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. Now, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Friends, when we come to Jesus and get baptized, what we're saying is I am being baptized into his death with him. That sin and death and my flesh no longer own me. They no longer enslave me. And that, that the, the atoning, cleansing blood of Jesus consecrates us, sets us apart to enter into what? The new covenant. 
to enter into the covenant of God's love that is for us, not just in the future so we can escape to heaven, friends. It's not just our ticket out of here someday. Paul says it's full life now. You understand that? It's full life now. I'm so glad I made eye contact with you. Laura, for any, any other person who was there, they probably didn't think anything of it. Like four weeks ago, Krista was leading prayer before the service, and she said, does anybody want to start us off leading in prayer? And Laura said, I will. Friends, that's new life. Because three years ago, you never would have done that. <laughs> you never would have done that. And I'm sorry to embarrass you, but I've been dwelling on it so much lately that this is what confidence in the gospel looks like. This is what new life looks like when Jesus says, I've brought you through the Red Sea. I brought you through the Jordan River. I'm the ark. Get on board. And she said, yes. And our confidence just grows as she experiences full life in the gospel. I'm sorry to embarrass you. It just, it struck me so strong right there. Friends, all of this is because of Jesus. He's the new Moses, the better Noah, the new Adam, the better Joshua, who leads us into the promised land when we link our lives up with him by consecrating ourselves, by being atoned for in him, and then saying, yes, yes, I want to be moved from this stream of rebellion into the kingdom of light, in, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, from being a slave to being a son or daughter of God. This is what it's about. It's not about a church. It's not about rules. It's not about church history. It's about right now, Jesus saying, do you want to be in my kingdom? And us saying, yes, yes, I want this. I want this. I'm amped. I could keep going, but I won't. I promised I wouldn't go long. I probably already did. I'm sorry. So the question today is, have you jumped out of that stream of rebellion and the dark kingdom into the kingdom of light with Jesus? Have you made that commitment to say, yes, Lord, I want everything you have to offer. Thank you for leading me. Thank you for putting me in the ark. Thank you for saving me. And I want to, in obedience and aligning and announcing the story of God's gracious rescue, I want to be baptized. I want that today. Again, nothing magical takes place, okay? Friends, the deep things of God have already happened by the Spirit in these folks who are getting baptized today. God has already saved them. But what we're doing is announcing to us, to ourselves, to the world, making a, a stake in the ground that says, I'm in. I am in Jesus's death. And when we come out of the water saying, and I'm in his life now, now and for all of eternity. Praise God. Not about our legalism, not about our power, not about church hierarchy, not about rules and regulations. It's just about God's love, his gracious rescue expressed most clearly through Jesus and his atonement and his resurrection. This is what we celebrate today. Brian, Jen, Laura, Jesse, why don't you kind of cue over here? We're going to get ready to baptize these folks. If you are feeling prompted to be baptized today, now's the day. We got towels. I can't promise we have a change of clothes, but we got towels. If you feel like this is something you want to do, if you need to move to a place where you want to get pictures or video or whatever for these folks, feel free. You're not going to interrupt anything. There's a family gathering. It's fine. But I ask that you would consider it. And this is, I told these guys this the other day. This is something that I see happen in the New Testament regularly is that people get saved, they get baptized, and the Spirit descends on them in a powerful way. Their lives are just changed. Now, maybe what happens back then was like so quick together that that's the way it happens, but I'm also going to pray it happens today, that the Spirit would empower these folks to live gospel-saturated lives in simply Jesus, to, to proclaim the gospel boldly to their families, to their friends, to their workplaces, 
Would you pray with me?